we are looking at uh, a series of lessons concerning edification. And edification merely means to build up. And this morning we're going to look at the subject of edification through teaching. And I want you to think about the Word of God and not just teaching from the pulpit, but teaching, using the Word of God to communicate it, to penetrate the hearts of man, and to, to save the souls of man for one thing. And then the other is to cause, cause all of us uh, to consider our lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus and be motivated to live in a way that's more pleasing and better in His sight. And so we're going to look at edification through teaching this morning. Um, there's some sources of edification we might consider. And the first would be false edification. And false edification would be something that builds us up. At least we think it builds us up and we feel good about it. But its, it's, it's foundation is not truth. And an example of that is um, I might come in and say to you, Hey, you know, I, I've got this ticket and I've won a million dollars and I'm going to share it with you. And, you know, you might start daydreaming about, well, how am I going to use my portion of that money? And you're, you're going to be built up. You're going to be edified in the sense that you're going to feel really good about it. But I have to tell you that that's not true. I didn't win that, that money, and I'm not going to share it with you because I haven't won it. And so uh, that would be false edification. An example that we might think of that's more of a spiritual nature would be, we know that there are people that teach that you just... Uh, can be saved by accepting uh, or saying the sinner's prayer. You know, you accept Jesus into your heart. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to be baptized. And that would be an example of someone who might feel pretty good about things, but its, it's, it, it's foundation is untruth. And so that edification is not going to do them any long-term good. They're going to have the, the few minutes of... Of, of celebration, perhaps, of feeling good about what they did, uh, but then they're in for a rude awakening down the road. So we're not interested, obviously, in that type of edification. The other, another source of edification would be worldly wisdom. And, you know, there's a lot of great wisdom out there. I, some examples that I thought of would be like diet plans or savings plans or... Uh, this week, I'm going to do a three-day training on the seven habits of highly effective people. It's, it's good worldly wisdom. And some of it, and some of it is, um, is even biblical in principle. But you know, the problem with much of that stuff is that those, those things, although they're good for now, the benefits are real. But they're only temporary. You're only going to be benefited in the here and now. And so they're not, they're not a long-term edification. And that's really the kind that we're really looking at this morning. And the edification that we see, receive through the Word. And you know, in, in looking at this, at, at this study, I begin to realize that I've been guilty of not uh, giving the Word as much credit as it deserves... In, in its power in our lives. I, I, I tend to underestimate its power to do what it's designed to do. We recognize that in this case, the benefits are real. And even better than that, they're everlasting. We know that the Word of God is described this way, way in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. 
It says, for the word of God is living. In the old King James, it says it's quick. But it says, the word of God is living and powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But you know, the word is a special type of weapon. It's a spiritual weapon, isn't it? You know, when you see when you see a warfare that is fought in today's world, you don't see people hurling Bibles at one another. That's not the that's not the type of weapon that it is. That's not the kind of warfare that it's designed to be effective in. But yet the the apostle here refers to the word as being powerful. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is it is Highly effective in the task of spiritual warfare. And that warfare has to do with convicting the souls of men, causing them to recognize and see the, see the error of their way, and turn from it. And you know, you might look and think about, well, you know, there's people out there that, that will, will not hear the word. Well, that's more of an indication of their heart as opposed to Uh, it being a reflection on the lack of power that the Word has. It's a very powerful weapon if used in the right way and understood in the right way. You know, Isaiah said this in a similar type tone. He said that, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Isaiah was a great prophet and he warned the people of Israel of the evils of their way. And he says that he's made my tongue, he's made my mouth like a sharp sword. And I believe that's a very similar connotation to what we see here in Hebrews chapter 4. And if you look at the Old Testament, you think about the Word as it came to man. I'm just going to throw up some examples. The Word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And the Word of the Lord came to Samuel saying. And the Word of the Lord came to Nathan. And He came to Gad and so forth and so on. And we're just seeing several examples here. And I could have filled up maybe four or five different slides if I would have gone through all of the, the, all of the Old Testament examples of just where it used the word, just where it used the phrase, when the word of the Lord came. And so God, way back in both the patriarchal dispensation of time, back before the old law of Moses, and then during the law of Moses, He would come to certain individuals and He would... He would speak to them and He would say, I want you to warn my people about this thing. I want you to to bestow this blessing upon them. Or I want you to bestow this curse upon them because of their disobedience. Whatever the case may be. And God always conveyed His will through His Word. In Isaiah 55, it even says that, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. What does that mean? It means that it will have the effect that it was designed to have. It will do what it's meant to accomplish. But it it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I have sent it. So God has used this single weapon throughout His entire dealings with mankind to interact with us and to tell us what He wants us to do and, and what, he's, what is going to occur. 
I heard it said of a president, you know, you think about the president of the United States, it's often said of him in that position that that's the most powerful man in the world. Well, there was, I can't remember which president it was, it was some number of years ago, but the president said, you know, he was used to running a, a big company and when he was in charge of this company and he gave an order, you know what happened? They took care of it. Whatever he said to do, his underlings in that company made it happen. But when he became president, he would make an order and nothing would happen because it would have to go out through all the departments and all this uh, administrative law and so forth. And so nothing would happen. And that was the frustration expressed by what is conveyed here as the most powerful man in the world. But this is a ruler that that's never been the case with, not a single time. That when his word goes forth, it does accomplish exactly what it was designed to accomplish. And we can have confidence that it will do that. It can do that. And it, it, it can't not do that. It's impossible for it to fail or return to him void. So the word of the Lord came... We think about the Old Testament and all those examples I showed you. But the Word of the Lord came and then the Word of the Lord came. We recognize this passage from John chapter 1 and verse number 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, that God's Son would come here and live as a man. And he's described here not as a man, but as a humanly manifestation of the very word that God uses to convict the sinner and to make him right with God. Jesus prayed this. Right before he was taken to the cross and, and killed, he prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17 and verse number 14. I have given them your word. Why was he sent? To give them the word. That's why he came. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We recognize this passage in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, in verse number 17. It says that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable to tell you how you ought to be. It's it's profitable to make you right with God. It's profitable to put you in a position where you know how to live in a way that's pleasing to your God. And if you're foreign and you're off from your God, how do I reconcile myself to Him? The Word tells us that through the doctrine. And as Yancey talked about last week, uh, to reprove, that is to... To convict us, to, to it shows us the error of our way. We look at as we begin to delve into His Word, or we hear the Word taught. We recognize that you know there's some things that I'm doing and saying and thinking that don't really line up. And so the Word tells me where I'm off, and then it gives me directions on how to make the corrections to those those mistakes that we're making. So we, we're repro- we're reproved and we're corrected. 
And then finally, we're given instruction in righteousness. So how do we go forth and live in a life, live in a way that continues to please God? So he tells us how we ought to be. He shows us how we're wrong. He shows us how to fix what we're, what we're wrong about. And then he, he gives us directions as to how to go forth from that point and live a life that's pleasing to him. Well, let's look at some advantages of teaching. You know, there's, there's lots of different ways that you can interact with the Word. You could just read the Word. You could meditate upon the Word. And, I, by the way, I, I think as, as many and as different ways that we can interact with the Word, the better. If we can hear it through uh, audio, if we can read it, if we can meditate upon it, all of those things are powerful ways to interact with the, with the Word, and we should do that. We should take advantage of that. But there's something, too, about just the Word being taught. And so we're going to look at some things that maybe uh, you've thought of. Uh, have you ever heard a lesson where someone has said something or shown you a Scripture and you'd never seen that Scripture that way? You ever... You ever heard a lesson, and maybe it's a scripture you've read time and time and time again, but you'd never heard it explained that way, and it clicked with you. And you could have read it 20 other times, and it wouldn't have mattered. But it took somebody to show you a certain way. In essence, you get in their head and think like they're thinking, and that helps you grow. And so, again, not just from the pulpit, but from the form of the Word being taught in a Bible study, the Word being taught one-on-one one one with a different individual. So when we do that, we get in each other's heads in a way that helps us understand. Perhaps in a way we haven't before. And it reminds me of the standard. It reminds me of the Lord. It reminds me of, of how I'm supposed to be living. And it motivates me. It kind of slaps me in the face metaphorically and puts me back on the right track. And sometimes... Sometimes reading the Word, maybe I get out of the habit of reading the Word. And so I need somebody to teach me. I need somebody to motivate me. I need somebody to say a certain thing that will be just the very thing that gets me back on track. Again, I don't want you to think about limiting that just to the pulpit because that, that, would, be, that would be too narrow a focus. I want you to think about how the Word can be used and taught, communicated from one person to another, and done done in such a way that we're motivated to live better. And I think we can probably all think of examples where that's been the case. The next one. So other people have that problem too. You hear someone talk about an issue that they've had in teaching the Word. And you recognize, you mean I'm not the only one to have dealt with it? I'm not the only one to have faced this problem. I'm not the only one to have a problem inside of my family. Or I'm not the only one that's, that's had a problem with disease. Or I'm not the only one that's, you know, any of those things. And you realize that, you know, you've got, you've got people out there with you that are fighting the same battle that you are. And that can be very, very edifying and very encouraging to recognize that you're not going it alone. And then we recognize that part of what we do is we teach from the Scriptures because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and other places, 
we are instructed to use teaching of God's Word as part of what we do in worship to Him. And so we do that this morning for that very purpose. I want to go back to one. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe this kind of falls under the, the example of I never thought of it like this, but um, I'll give you a personal kind of application here. Is um, About two years ago, Dusty was given a lesson, and I don't remember exactly the title of that lesson, but something in that lesson caused me to recognize that I was being prideful. And I've never thought of myself as having a problem with pride. That's not something that I really thought about that much uh, as being an issue that I had to deal with. But I, I will tell you the, the exact context of it. I had, um, I had just turned down an opportunity to move to another job. I was in that assistance principal's job. I've told you that's a very difficult job. It was very stressful. And uh, assistant superintendent came to me and said, Hey, uh, I know you'd like to get back in curriculum, and we've got a job for you at an elementary school. Would you be interested in doing that? Without even thinking about it, without even praying about it, without even talking to anybody about it, I said, thank you very kindly. I really appreciate you thinking of me, but no, I'm not an elementary person. I could never do that. I just, no. But it was Dusty's lesson about a week later that caused me to re-examine that and realize the reason I didn't want to do that is because I thought I was too good to be down there at that level. And so, in, and because of that, because of Dusty's lesson, I, I actually got a hold of that assistant superintendent and said, hey, have you done anything with that job? And they, he said, no, not yet, but we're about to. Are you interested? And I said, yes. And so, here I am, and I did that, and I'm thankful I did that, and I owe part of it to Dusty. But my own stubbornness and pride and had I have not had that teaching from another person, never would have made that change. I'm really convinced of that. And you know, another thing is the scriptures teach that we have a lot that there is a lot of confidence in um, that God has confidence that we are able to teach one another, that we are able to motivate one another. And look at what it says here in Colossians. Chapter 4. Now, I recognize that he's talking about spiritual gifts to an extent, and things were certainly slightly different. But he says, For you all may prophesy one by one, that all may learn and be encouraged, and the, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And he's saying that, you know, if you, if you revealed some knowledge from heaven, then you can, you, the prophets should speak one by one. They were having a problem of all of them getting up and just blabbering stuff out one by one. And he's saying that you shouldn't do that. You, when you revealed something, you can withhold it until a, appropriate time. And you know, that's true of our study today. We study and we can, we can reveal it, but we can reveal it at an appropriate time. And then in Romans chapter 15, he says, Now I am persuaded, now I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That word admonish here means to warn, to reprove in a gentle way. So he's confident that we're able to do that. We're able to edify one another. 
And then in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. That, that my faith is an encouragement to you and your faith is an encouragement to me. And so that we're able to teach one another. It's not me teaching you or you teaching me, but it's mutual. So the question that we have this morning is twofold. One is, what is the condition of our heart? If the Word is not having the effect that it was designed to have, to correct us, to reprove us, to give us instruction in righteousness, if we're not responding to that, what does it say about our heart? It says that our heart needs to change. That's the only thing that stands between between us and doing what God would have us to do is the condition of our heart. So we've got to do something about that. And then the other point is, are we ready to teach? Are we ready to share? And this is a, obviously a very familiar passage. But it says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks of the reason of the hope that lies that is in you with meekness and fear. Um, that's a minimum standard that any Christian ought to be able to do is you're not you're not necessarily asked to lead somebody in a five part study, although that'd be great, but you should be able to say, why do you believe there is a hope in following Jesus Christ? Why do you believe that that is the way? Why do you believe that He was the promised Savior? And if we can give an answer of the hope, perhaps we can bring them to someone that's a little more knowledgeable and can teach the things that, uh, that will cause them to obey the gospel. And as you, as you grow older as a Christian, as you grow more mature, hopefully you'll become more skilled with the Word. Be able to use it in a way that you can convict and you can convey God's Word in a way that's effective and can be edifying and can cause the Word to do what it was designed to do, that is, penetrates the hearts of men and cause them to repent and come into a relationship with their God through, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, if we can help you in any way, we're going to offer a song of invitation. If any that uh, need the prayers of the church, or if we can assist one with baptism, then we would ask you to come as we stand and sing the selected song.